Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under which we can find the solution to our problem of being separated from God. And so, Lord, we pray that you open our eyes and hearts to that truth, that you speak clearly, that you, again, God, call us to yourself today so that we could celebrate all of who you are. God, give us great joy as we do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So uh, as a young boy, I had a good friend. His name was Jay. He lived up the street, and Jay and I used to hang out with the other boys in the neighborhood, and we'd kind of run around. We'd have fun. We'd play together. We'd get into a little mischief now and then. So one day, you know, Jay showed me this incredible fireman's helmet that he got. Now, this wasn't just a plastic toy hat. This was an actual fireman's helmet that he got from a real fireman. And I was so impressed. I mean, that was amazing. A real helmet. I never seen anything like it. In fact, you know, I kind of got a little obsessed with it. I started thinking about it. And then, you know what? I just, I really wanted it. <laughs> I really, really, I don't know what I was thinking. When Jay wasn't looking, I grabbed the helmet and I just ran. I ran down the street as fast as my little legs could take me. I shoved that helmet under my tiny little t-shirt and I ran into my house, shut the door, belted down the hallway to my room, crawled under the bed and clung onto that helmet like my life depended on it. So it wasn't very long before Jay and his dad came looking for me. So I hear this knock at the door. There's this discussion with my parents, and then a search party was formed. <laughs> I started crying. I was terrified. I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm just trembling under the bed. And sure enough, eventually they found me down there, and I got pulled out. And man, I was busted, and I had to give up my prize. And you know, it, it took a while for Jay to trust me again, but eventually he did, you know, and he you know, forgave me. We became buds again. And, uh, you know, it was all good. And, uh, you know, there were some important lessons that I should have learned that day, you know, to think before you act, to not grab what's not yours, to don't be selfish or envious. But do you think I learned my lesson? No, no, not at all. You know, I was a pretty good kid, but, you know, I actually went on to make other mistakes. And the older I got, the bigger those mistakes got. And the consequences for those mistakes increased as well. And I'm not proud to say this, but I can tell you honestly that today I have skeletons in my closet. In fact, it's like Halloween all year long. <laughs> there are honestly things that I have done that cause me deep guilt and pain and shame. So how about you, you know? Maybe you went into somebody's room, but it wasn't a fireman's helmet that you took. Maybe there's a time that you really wanted something really bad, and then when you got it, it got you, and it wouldn't let you go. You know, and then there was that uh, impulsive decision, you know, that led to consequences that you still live with today, or maybe that one day or that weekend that you wish never happened. Or maybe there's just a whole season of your life that you wish you could just go back and do over again. When someone asks you about college, you're like, yeah, I went, and that's kind of all I want to say about that. 
you know, we kind of get stuck. We think that we're over it, but then, you know, there's something that we see or somewhere where we go, we hear someone's name and a memory pops up and then guilt and shame just jump all over us. And as hard as we try to forget, as hard as we try to wash it away, maybe even drink it away, you know, it still follows us. It haunts us. And we wonder, you know, what do I do? When can I get to the point that this isn't bothering me anyone? What can wash away my guilt? What can wash away my shame? What can wash away my sin? Isn't there something I can do so that I don't have to think about this anymore? Or maybe when I do think about it, you know, maybe I could view it differently so it just doesn't clobber me like it does. And then, you know, we kind of start to make excuses, <laughs> you know, just to make ourselves feel better. You know, like nobody's perfect. I was young. I was lonely. I was desperate, afraid. It was a mistake. I made mistakes. You know, mistakes. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines a mistake as a misunderstanding due to maybe a lack of knowledge or inattention. You know, kind of like we just didn't know what we were doing, right? But what if we did know? I mean, what if we actually thought a lot about it or, or even planned it? You know, but even if it was an innocent mistake or if it's something that we really plan to do, it still caused damage. It caused pain to ourselves and to the person that we violated, and it created a debt. You see, we owe someone something. We owe it to ourselves to have done better, and we're in debt, and we're guilty, which is why we feel guilt, and what we did was shameful which is why we feel shame. And there's a debt that has to be paid or forgiven. And if we think about it, it was kind of more than a mistake. It was sin. And we don't like that word, sin, right? I mean, sin is kind of... <laughs> sin's one of those words that we just don't like to hear or we wrestle with that because when we think about it as sin, it's kind of like we have to own it. We have to let go of our excuses. We kind of have to own and take responsibility for it, acknowledge this debt that we have. And when we really own our sin, in some ways we kind of have to admit the fact that we are owned. And, you know, we talked three weeks ago about how God as our creator, that he made us in his image. And if that's really true, if God made us, you see, then we're his. If he created us, we belong to him and he has a right of ownership over us as our creator. He has a right to hold us into account for the life that he gave us. And when we choose to obey and, or disobey his standards, when we choose to reject the things that he says, we're rejecting him. And so when we sin, not only do we create a debt to ourselves and a debt to those that we hurt, but also we create this debt to God. We owe him. In fact, our debt to God is so huge so enormous, so overwhelming, it's unpayable. And you can write this in on your message notes there. The first point is we owe a debt. We owe God a debt that we can't pay. You know, as modern people, sophisticated people, we work really hard to create kind of this 
bubble of protection around us, this guiltless and shameless bubble. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. And so we say that, you know, we don't believe in absolute truth and that we don't believe in moral absolutes. That we're going to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty. Don't feel shame. You only live once. YOLO, go for it. You be you. Do what you want. But then when someone gets pregnant or if someone feels violated, then at that point, what happens? Shame on you. How could you do that? What you did was wrong. You should pay. You know, we deny morality and then we beat one another with it. We say that there's no moral absolutes and no moral truth, but then we call someone immoral, which is kind of confusing, (laughs) kind of crazy. And into this, God speaks his truth. And in Romans 3.23, he says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God says, you know, there is truth. And there is sin. And sin violates his moral code, his law of love, his plan for us. It's actually an attack on his very person as God. Sin is real and undeniable. And we've all sinned. It's the stuff that we do for selfish reasons. It's the choices that we make, the way that we hurt others. It's stuff we do, and even stuff that we don't do that we should do. <laughs> you see, sin is wrong. It's, it's painful. It's hurtful. It's sinful. And we've all done it. Big sins, little sins, each and every day, day after day, we sin. And why do we do it? Well, because we're broken. It's a part of our actual nature. We don't just do sin. We actually have a sin nature. We are sinful. And yeah, that kind of bursts our little self-protective bubble. And we don't like it. But honestly, can't we just admit it? Can't we just come to grips with the fact that we do sin and stop denying it? I mean, how how much good has it done us to deny our sin? Has it helped or harmed our soul? Yeah, we sin, and sin has a huge cost. It's deadly. Romans 6.23 tells us in God's word, for the wages, the cost of sin is death. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) I want you to hang in there. Because I know you're thinking, wait, the death penalty? I mean, I've done some stuff. I've done some pretty bad stuff, but nothing deserving death. And this kind of shows the fact that that we really don't understand and appreciate a couple things. We don't understand how God and sin really work. We don't understand the holiness and perfection of God. We don't understand how sin operates. We don't even understand our true human origin and history. And, you know, we can make up our own little stories in our head as to what life is all about. Or we can listen to the creator of life. And God says this, that when he made the first man and woman, he made them in his likeness, in his image, to be like him and to share life with him. In fact, the Bible tells us that when we were made, that God breathed life, pneuma, breathed his spirit into mankind. We were created with and made alive with God's spirit and his spirit was in us. And then on the scene comes Satan, God's enemy, the angel, 
who rejected, usurped God, tried to overthrow him. And Satan comes onto the scene to the first man and woman, tells them that God was holding out on them. And that if they were to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would be wise. They would be like God. And God warned that man and woman that if they were to eat from that tree, that they would die. You see that his life would be lost from them, severed. They would be separated from him by sin, that they would know and become one with sin and evil. But our ancestors did not listen. And they rejected God and they disobeyed him. And at that moment, sin and evil entered them and they died. They died relationally. They died in their connection to God. They died spiritually and they began to die physically. And sin cut them off from God. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that it's your sins that have cut you off from God. And because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. And since that time, as every human being enters life into this world, we're born in this disconnection from God without the life, vital life connection with him. Born without his spirit in us. Born with a nature bound to and enslaved to sin. And seeking to live for self. Seeking to live our own life as our own God. And yet there's still these shadows that we have because we were made in God's image. And so we see these glimmers of his life in us and his likeness. And that's why we feel good when we love. And that's why we feel shame and guilt when we do things against his character according to our selfish inclination. It's according to our sinful nature. But it's this wrestling match, you see, because our mind and our heart and our will are twisted towards self, self-glorifying, self-focused, self-serving. We're the kings and queens of our own dominion with just one serious threat to our reign, God. God. Because nothing threatens self more than God. And because of this, we tend to resist and resent him. Romans 8, 7 from the Bible says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey his laws and it never will. And that's why we struggle with God so much. That's why our relationships are so hard. That's why we have all of our inner battles inside of ourselves. We're all about us, which violates the way that we were created to be loving and giving the way God is. But we're corrupted by sin And it causes us to deny and rebel against God and his claim over our life. We don't want God to mess with our life. We want to make our choices, do our thing, live life our way. We don't want to follow his rules or do things according to his way. And yet in us, our soul longs to worship. But even this, honestly, you know, it doesn't get corrupted. And in really, instead of serving God, we seek for God to serve us. And so we make up religions, you know, where it's all about us doing good deeds enough to get to the point where we can earn our own way into heaven. Or sometimes we take and strip down the gospel of its true life and we make it about, you know, praying this simple little prayer to accept Jesus, then have him bless our life and send us to this beautiful paradise called heaven. And we get so confused about what God and heaven are all about. It's kind of like the parents who were consoling their little daughter, Amy, whose cat Fluffy had died. And 
So the mom says, you know, it's okay. It's okay, Amy. You know, just think, Fluffy's probably up there in heaven with God, and God's probably really enjoying her. And Amy stopped crying and looked at mom and said, yeah, but what does God want with a dead cat? <laughs> She's really confused about what God and heaven are all about. Here's our next point. God's love and character require justice. God's love and character require justice. Now, most times, you know, we want God just to be like us. Can we be honest about that? We make God to be like us. And, but the problem is, you know, we're so inconsistent and so self-focused, so it's a good thing that God isn't actually like us. You know, we know that God is actually perfect, that God does not sin, that he's holy and consistent, perfect, unchanging. And he acts according to his character. He's always consistent with his character. And we know that God is a righteous judge and that he's just. Deuteronomy 32.4 says he's the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. But perfect justice, you see, means that when we violate his laws, his standards, his law of love, when we reject and rebel against him, when we sin, we put ourselves under his judgment. And saying our, that we're sorry, that doesn't pay for our debt. See, the cost of sin is death and separation from God. Now wait. <laughs> so you're saying that like if I gossip or maybe steal something that I get the death penalty? I'd rather believe in a God of love and forgiveness than a God of justice. I mean, that's barbaric. I just don't want that type of God. And yet, when someone sins against us, when someone violates, hurts, or abuses us, then we really want justice then. And when we see hunger and poverty or the innocent abused or tortured, we cry out, if there's a God, why doesn't he do anything? If God is good, then why is there evil in the world? You see, we want God to eliminate evil. But you ever thought about this? Think about this. If God really did eliminate all evil, then guess what? <laughs> you could kiss your little self goodbye. I mean, haven't you harmed someone? Haven't you done things that we could consider to be really wrong and evil? Yeah, we want justice for us, but we don't want justice against us. And once again, it's all about us. <laughs> Psalm 9, 7 to 9 says, But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. You see, we want and need. We need a God of justice who stands up for the poor, who rights the wrongs in our world, a God who makes things right. And he is that. But there's still kind of a problem. Exodus 34, 6 to 7 says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, and he cried out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. 
God does not excuse the guilty. It's, he can't, according to his character. He's not going to accept a note from your mommy to get you out of detention. He's not going to be intimidated by a letter from your lawyer. He's not going to be manipulated by promises that I'll never do it again. As we said, God is a God of justice, and according to his perfect character, he must be just. He must judge sin. And as we've said, we are so steeped in, controlled by, and enslaved to sin that we owe a God a debt that we just can never pay. We're stuck. We are doomed. But our just and righteous God loves you. He truly loves you deeply, enough to that he went to incomprehensible lengths in order to help you overcome this debt that you in no way could ever repay. And God sent his son, Jesus, to pay that debt for you, to die for you, so that you could be set free. On your notes, God sent Jesus to pay our debt and give us life. Give us life. God takes all our rebellion, our rejection of him, and all his ways. He takes the punishment that we deserve for our sin, and he casts it on his very own son. Every sin of every human being who has ever lived the unimaginable hell of scores of rape, murder, lust, injustice, thievery, extortion, everything ever done, all of it and everything, everything we deserve to die for, Jesus paid it all. And this is an amazing gift, amazing gift of love, an unconditional gift of amazing, incredible grace. But why Jesus? Why is it that Jesus dying on the cross is the only way that we can have this debt paid for? And you see, it's because Jesus is the only one that can pay that debt. Jesus, as the Son of God, as God the Son, came to earth in human flesh. The Creator entered creation. The one and only unique God-man. He became one of us. And as a human being, Jesus lived a sinless life. A life of perfection, connected to God, in total dependence upon God the Father. And Jesus lived the life that we were meant to live. The life before we rejected God and fell into sin. Jesus lived the life that God imagined for us. He lived in harmony with God, in fellowship with God. He lived for God's will and God's glory and not his own. Jesus lived the life that we could never live. He lived with pure love. With righteousness, he healed the sick, he loved the broken, he accepted the rejected. Jesus was God with us. And then we killed him. <laughs> but God used Jesus' death. God used it to heal us. And on the cross, Jesus took all of our sin on himself. And he paid the penalty of death for all our sin. He canceled the debt that we owe to God. He died for us. He accepted the holy wrath of God all upon himself for you and you and you and me. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's known as the great exchange. Jesus took our death and in exchange he gave us his life. His perfect and righteous life that we would be united with him so that when God sees us, he sees us in Christ as righteous, as pure, perfect, as holy, as clean. That's the way God sees us through Christ. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made with, right with God, in his sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus was beaten and bloodied, nails pierced through his hands, through his feet, thorns cast into his very skull, and Jesus bled to death. And it was his blood that cleansed you from your sin. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, eternal God, God the Son, he is the only, only one, the only permanent, everlasting sacrifice who can pay for your sin, past, present, and future. He opened the door to restore your relationship with God. He takes you from being an enemy of God to God's child, from death to life, from condemnation to celebration, not based on anything that you have done, nothing. You don't have to work for God's favor. You don't have to earn God's love. Jesus did it all. He paid it all for you. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And so God offers this incredible gift to have our debt paid for us, our sin removed, to be adopted as his children, to receive his very life inside of us. And he gives us this gift as a choice. You see, we have a choice to receive Jesus as our Savior. A choice. <laughs> when God first made us, you know, he, he could have just made us to be these robot-like creatures that were designed and programmed to love God. I love God. I love God. He could have made us that way, but he didn't. You see, he made us to be like him with a mind and a will to choose because God knows that love, love, love is a choice. And God gives us the freedom of choice. John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, God chose to pay our debt while we were his enemies. He chose. He gives us a choice as well. And we can choose to show our love and gratitude to him for everything he's done for us. Romans 3, 25 and 26 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe. Not just that it happened, but they entrusted to themselves that Jesus sacrificed his life. 
shedding his blood. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He can be both loving and just, and he made sinners right in his eyes when they believe in Jesus. So salvation is a free gift from God, a free gift. And it's up to each person to receive that gift for themselves. To receive it is to receive Jesus' payment for sin, to have your debt removed. It's to return to your creator and have his life in you. You receive his very spirit. Eternal life is connected to your life again. And you see, though, to reject this free gift from God is to reject God himself. It's to remain separated from God by your sin. It's to stay in debt, to be enslaved to sin and under God's judgment. And if at any moment you were to draw your very last breath, you need to understand that there's no going back. There's no excuses. There's no one else to blame because you see it's your choice. And so why did Jesus have to die on the cross? The bottom line is this. Jesus died for us so that we can live for him. We were created by God to know him, to be in connection and life and love with him forever. And we were designed to reflect his character, his kindness, his compassion. We were made to bring hope to the hopeless, to serve those in need. And you see, God's plan is in action, and Jesus is doing this right now. He's in the process of redeeming, restoring the earth. One day we'll have a whole new heaven and earth to enjoy with him together, and Satan and evil and pain and all things that are not of God will be cast away. And in the meantime, see, Jesus has placed his life, his spirit in us, and so that we who have Christ, who know Christ, who have received his life, become Christ in this world, in our time, his body to do his work. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says this, Christ's love compels us, it controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Christians, we're no longer to live the selfish life of our past. We live our new life in Christ. We die to self and live for Jesus. And yes, while we're here on earth, we're still going to wrestle with sin, right? I mean, old habits die hard. And that sin from our past, you know, we have, it still stings, but we have this, this new paradigm, this new filter that we can look through. It. It's called God's grace. And we can focus on the incredible, amazing fact with gratitude that God paid our debt. And we can seek to reconcile just like God reconciled us to himself. And we can live lives as being loved and forgiven people. And we have new life because we have new life in Christ. And that, my friends, there is no other better way to live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the incredible gift of your life on the cross. There's no other name. There's no other way. We were lost and stuck. And you chose 
to come because of your great love for us. And your love cries out across the ages. I love you. I have died for you. I give you the gift of eternal life. Come back to me. Let me be your savior. You are loved. I want to spread my forgiveness over your life. And so for some of you today, that's just, you just need to respond. You need to say, God, I recognize, man, I have blown it. And I recognize that you are creator, that you are God. And before you, I stand in guilt and shame. And I want to be made clean. I receive this gift. I receive you, Jesus Christ. I receive your life. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.